All right, we're going to get started now with our penultimate panel. When, what happens when women lead? And we have a really great panel of women who have diverse backgrounds and experiences to, uh, to walk us through this topic. I know this is a topic that Michelle has been passionate about for a very long time, and we've had many conversations about it and tried to figure out different angles for ways that we could uh, present it at the conference. And both Karuna and Amanda came to us independently of one another this year with the same idea, and it was just a really natural fit, and all the women came together to be on this panel, and it just formed in a really organic uh, and natural way, and we're just really excited to, to bring this conversation to structure. So we have uh, Karuna Scheinfeld, uh, VP of Design from Woolrich, Amanda Goad from Bold Brew, Janine Pesh from Range, Leanna DeLuca Johnson from DeLuca J Designs, Michelle Rose from Structure, Gail Straub from She Explores, and Janie Dial from Wilder Goods. Please welcome the panelists. All right, so we wanted to start just by explaining kind of how we got here. Um, We'd been talking about a lot of issues around women and women in leadership, women in design, and then Donald Trump won the election. And we talked again about wanting to talk about it, and then the Women's March happened, and we felt really, really sure that we wanted to talk about it. Um, So Amanda and I got together and, and also wanted to think about a a more in-depth way of doing this rather than just asking questions that people answer on the spot. So we've actually interviewed everybody here for, you know, hours, thought about it, and really selectively thought about what we wanted each person to speak to out of their own experience. Um, So just to give you a little more background, um, my name's Amanda Goad, and I'm the founder of Bold Brew and Wild Women's Project. And Wild Women's Project is a hut... Um, trip up in the San Juan Mountains in Colorado, which is where I live, um, that brings women leaders in the outdoor industry together to connect and um, build more women leaders eventually. So um, I got really excited to work with Karuna on this because it's such an innovative conversation, and we're really excited about all the diverse women we have here to talk about all their amazing experiences they've had. So with that, Karuna will start with the first questions. So this... The, the, the title of the, of the um, talk is really the first question we asked. We, we felt that instead of getting into the problems or the issues or, you know, uh, a debate conceptually about this, we wanted to really hear stories about women who are leaders. What does that look like in real life with people who are doing it? But we did start with a couple assumptions. The first assumption is that neither women nor men make inherently better leaders. And then assumption number two um, is women are underrepresented as leaders in our industry. And I would say some people would argue that this isn't an assumption, but a fact. Um, So we wanted to really explore why that is and how we can change that as we all work together to change that moving forward. So Michelle, we're pulling you out from behind the curtain now. Welcome. so we, we had a lot of long talks about this, and, and the thing that really was so inspiring to me to hear from you was, was your journey and the women who influenced the woman that you've become. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yes, I'll need a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
can say it really loud, but I really can't. I turned it off. I really want people to hear me, especially the people in the back that have spread out from the last talk. I'm going to start with this right away, and I'm going to also say that it is something to notice that when you get the, the team of the guys up, we love them, and they ask that you come up, and you come up and sit, and, they, and you do, and then it disperses. And I know we need a break, but I just want to say it would be nice to have you up too. So I will talk out to you, but I've given you the guilt complex. So, all right. <laughs> That's what women do. Yeah, no, I'm serious. This is one of the points of the experience is that women don't ask for it. Okay, so I thought that was really wonderful in the last talk that Ian came up and said, I, I sit up front, we need to pull this in. So instead of asking you to, I'm going to say, come in and sit up front. Come on. <laughs> Come on, guys. Okay. And this isn't a women's thing. This is about leadership. This is about coming in and having a seat and moving up and being engaged and being part of it. And it is hard for designers to do, but it's especially hard for women to do. We are conditioned to be okay with what, is everybody okay? Did I just make you mad? Did I just make you upset? I'm sorry. I hope everybody's having a great time, and I really hope you are, (laughs) really. So when I think about that, I think about like, um, you know, what, the question you asked me was really about what was my experiences about having a mentor. And I found that like, I was really lucky. I actually uh, had gone back to school in my late 20s and started my own business. And it was really hard. And I decided I need corporate experience. And I was like, I need a mentor. So I would literally, I was training martial arts and we talk about, I put it out to the universe. I need a mentor. And I got hired at Columbia Sportswear from the head of design that was there. It was a wonderful woman who was almost 20 years my senior, who just really ended up being my mentor. It was exactly what I asked for, and I got it. And through that five years of working with her, I had that mentorship that was really wonderful, and then found out later that other people didn't have that. Or when she retired and that wasn't there, it was gone. I didn't have it again. Um, And so I've had these years beyond that, these 10 years since, to really look back at that and say, wow, what, what did I gain out of that that created a wonderful platform for me? And then what happened when I didn't have that or wasn't able to be that for somebody else? And the thing that she created at that place was a space. She created a space for design. She, she created it through being up the upper levels and demanding that she have this authority to create the space. But she did it in a very different way. Uh, She just had a very magical way of doing it, but it was very forceful. And it wasn't like what I just did to all of you. It wasn't in your face. Even that's not that in your face. But, you know, it was very much uh, just very... You didn't even realize she was doing it and, and creating that space. But what she created was a place that she owned the design space. And she could create then an experience and a pathway for the whole team. And that just made it easier um, for all of us to come in and have opportunity and feel protected and um, be protected but given opportunities, not put in the back. She put us in the front. 
but she guided us, you know, when it came to sales meetings with the right time, how to get up there and how to do it right. And then next thing you know, you're in front of 300 sales reps, but you're also given credibility. So there's a lot more I could say about that, but that was some of my first experiences as just a female design leader who was given the authority, but she also asked for it. She demanded it, and she used it. And every time anything like this happened, she was in the front row. When we went on team trips and we had to do something difficult, like jump off a cliff for the first time into water that was so far down there, and everyone was going, she was like, I'm going, first one down. First one down the mountain, first one down. Because even if she was freaked out, she was like, I'm the leader, I'm in the front, Everyone's following what I'm, what I'm doing, my example. Not following me, they're following my example. So. so what made you leave corporate and what drove you to create structure? I'll try not to make that long. Uh, I'll make it pretty fast, actually. We talked about this. Is, um, the thing that actually made me leave corporate... <laughs> yeah, that was me, um, obviously. I hate to say it. But the thing that made me leave corporate was having a baby. And it was the last thing that I wanted. And I tried really hard for it not to happen. Um, And I waited, I I worked in almost two years as a new mom in the Bay Area. uh, And it just was something that wasn't working. So, and I actually had a a different boss at the time as a female boss who didn't have children. And that was also something that was a little shocking. In that. But um, it, it, I had gone all, this, all these years in my whole life with really wonderful female leadership. And then I had hit a place where I had hit a ceiling that I couldn't get through while being pregnant and becoming a mom and do all of it at the same time. That when I sat back and kind of became a mom, I, I started to slip. And I was still working just as hard you know, harder, and still putting in the hours. But all these things came together just to create a slippery slope that I watched other people go through. And after I went through it, I started to notice how many other women in other comp- all kinds of companies, including the one I was at, uh, slip. And they didn't know how to ask for help. We didn't know how to ask for help. And nobody really seemed to notice or know how to help. And we all just kind of fell back and we went into survival mode. So, and that, that also, and the thing that led us to start structure was two things. I mean, it was seeing that there was no space for this to happen. Designers weren't supported. It wasn't so much, we didn't start this about women. We started this about designers. That there was no place for designers to come together. They, in some companies, they weren't supported. They didn't have a track. They didn't have the leaders. When the leaders retired or left, they weren't there. And I saw people struggle. I had people on my team struggle because I was struggling. And I just saw lots and lots of struggle, talked with a lot of people through, through those years. And uh, we just, we knew we needed to do this. So that led to it alongside of my, my leaving and, uh, for the family issue and the design issue. So, so that, I left because of the family issue and the frustration. We started this because we wanted a solution for something that was, that was missing. So it ended up being that great thing of, of um, I never would have started this 
had that not happen. Everything happens for a reason, but since then, we see that there's still those things happening, and they're happening in large amounts that are really challenging families all over our industry, which we say is family-friendly. And for those of you young millennials who don't have kids yet, you're going to come up and change this. So we're counting on it. So now you're an entrepreneur. You are a mentor yourself. You are a leader. You are a mother. What is next? Like, What's your vision of the next step that we all need to take as a design community, and particularly women in the design community? Well, first thing I'll say is uh, get a seat at the table. Sit in the front row. If you notice who has been coming up here and talking today or who has been asking the questions and who has been leading and what, they're sitting in the front. Or they're sitting on the sides because they're doing things, but it's just they're, they're asking the questions. They're speaking up. And one of the things that we learned was that designers, we all have a hard time speaking up. This is not easy for us. Women have a really hard time speaking up. Um, and one of the first comments we got you know, from the first structure was that this felt like a safe place to be able to speak up. And it's our goal to make that happen. We can create the safe space. But each one of us has to kind of pull ourselves by and go, I need, to, I need to take that risk. Everyone who's been up here speaking today, we've, been, we've talked with, and they've all been at the beginning stages. They're up here because they take the risks. They put themselves out there. And this is a community of people that will accept when you take those risks. They will, they will pat you on the back. They'll be there for you. They're not going to judge you. So as women, we need to remember that with each other. Because we've noticed as, as a problem for a lot of women is that we, don't, we, we are our own worst enemies. We really judge each other. We really stab each other in the back sometimes. And, and not in this community. We're so much better about that. But we need to remember that it's not a competition, that we are all... I, I can go on a rant about all that. But, uh, <laughs> so I think it really is about stepping up and taking those risks. And, you know, who cares if somebody tries to knock you down? Just, you know, let it go. Awesome. That's Thank hard, you. the harder to do. Great. Thanks. Okay. So the next person we're going to talk to is Gail Straub. She is the founder of She Explores, a podcast and content site that lives in the overlap between creativity and the outdoors. Um, so if you are in the outdoor community and you haven't listened to her podcast, you definitely should. It's amazing. Um, but Gail, the first question that I think is really interesting, um, being a woman in the outdoor industry, what drove you to start She Explores? And can you give us a little background on that? Sure. Um, I started She Explores about three years ago now. Um, I was actually leaving on a a van trip, which seems really cliche at this point, (laughs) with my boyfriend in a sprinter van. And I finally had time to work on something that I wanted to work on and to create something that I wanted to create. And I'd always been interested in art and photography and hiking and camping And I wanted to create something that was the overlap between the two. I'm really interested in the way women express themselves, especially in the outdoors. And I didn't see a place for that on the internet, like besides social media. So um, the communities that already existed, like Dirtbag Darling and 
Outdoor Women's Alliance. I think those were the only two that I could find at that point. Maybe She Jumps, too. Um, but there just wasn't something that filled my needs, so I created it for myself. Um, so on She Explores, she interviews and talks about women from all walks of life, from leaders to people just getting into the outdoors, van lifers, things like that. Um, but tell us one of your favorite stories of a female leader that you interviewed for your podcast. Um, and what did you find she did differently as a female leader? Sure. Um, so I guess to expand on what I said in the first que- answering the first question, um, when I started She Explores, it was just a content site. And then about a year ago, I started a podcast um, and I've done 25 episodes now talking with through hikers, um, uh, really just women who I think are kind of leading the outdoor community. So not just through hikers, even though I'm really fascinated by through hiking. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, we talked about mental health, talked about diversity in the outdoors, talked about issues that I think are really important right now because the outdoor industry is pretty fascinating and the women within it are as well. Um, but to answer your, your question now, um, a woman that I interviewed and an episode that went out yesterday was Haley Robeson from Kamek. She's the CEO of Kamek. And one of the things that she said to me that really struck out, struck out um, was that women, um, she believes, and this is something that you said too, she believes that women, especially women in leadership, need to lift each other up. Um, and she at Kamek, she's hired women to work at Kamek. And Kamek is a really small company, but it's now 50% women, 50% men. And she really believes that diversity in thought really creates like a more dynamic workplace. And she also, I think when she said that we need to lift each other up, what struck me was that it's a really generous way to lead. And I think that that's something that's not just uniquely feminine, but I think it is an, a really great feminine characteristic. When we were talking before this panel, um, one of the things that you mentioned in our first interview was that when you're um, editing your podcasts, you tend to edit out a lot of ums and ifs and pauses and things that we are probably all doing on the stage up here that we don't realize we're doing. Um, Why is that so important for you to do? See, I just did it. I didn't even know I did it. Um, Why is that so important for you in your podcast? And you had a lot of thoughtful things to say about that. So if you could elaborate. Yeah, definitely. Um, So, yeah, I'm going to do it a lot. (laughs) An interview and and, in the context like this, it's really uncomfortable. It's inherently uncomfortable. You're going in and you're talking to someone as a host and as a guest. You don't really know each other and you're feeling each other out and you're thinking about how you're going to sound as a guest. And I think that when I talk with someone, a woman, I think I have, we're creating a relationship just in that conversation. And I think that she's placing a lot of trust in me um, to portray her in the way that she wants to be portrayed without her actually editing it. So I take a lot of time editing the conversations that we have, not to like impose my point of view, but when we talk and when we're nervous, we tend to use qualifiers. That's what those words are called. Like, um, I think, maybe, I don't know. Those are all words that we use to kind of hedge our bets in conversation. And they can make us sound less confident, even if we're intelligent, confident women. So I really think about that when I'm editing because I want her to sound the way that I hear her and the and I want to portray her as the woman that I know that she is and in 
the way that she expresses herself in her daily life. Yeah, I remember you interviewed me for your podcast, and afterwards I said, wow, I, did I sound that good? You, you were really happy that I felt that way about it because everyone isn't really sure what they might sound like on something like that, and we're all just here trying to make it, right? So, And so um, now we're going to go on to Liana and Corona again. Hi, Liana. Hi. Um, so Liana is a, an entrepreneur, a, a consultant, and has been working in the world of equipment for a long time and is often one of the few women in that world. Um, so she has a particularly interesting point of view on all this. And you told me a story when we talked about um, the woman who kind of threw you in the deep end so that you could, you could develop your, a voice. And that's what I want to start with. Hi, everyone. So, um, yeah, I started my career at, uh, I could say my first entry into the outdoor industry was at Camelback Products. I was an entry-level designer, and I was, in, in, you know, I'm a product designer by trade. I trained in industrial design, and even in those numbers, statistically, we're, we're low in numbers, women uh, versus men, so 20, perhaps 20% to the 100% whole of the roster men. And so when I joined uh, Camelback in the R&D team, designing uh, equipment, products, bottles, uh, backpacks, things like that, I was the only female designer of a small group, um, but also only myself and another developer, we were the only two women in the whole entire R&D group with engineers and designers and um, all of those people. So for me, when I had the opportunity, I was, uh, you know, still learning and things like that, and I was on my way to another meeting uh, somewhere in the hallway at Camelback at the old building, and Sally McCoy at the time was our leader, our CEO, very strong, powerful, well-known woman in the industry, and so she's just a little intimidating, <laughs> so we kind of tried to avoid each other, but uh, she uh, surprised me one day in the hallway, and she put her arm around my shoulder and said, hi, Liana, hi, Sally. And she said, hey, you know, we have an REI buyer here, and I really want you, um, as a strong female designer representative here, I want you to come and join the meeting because I want her to hear your voice and I want you to let her know what you think and uh, be a part of this meeting. So it's happening right now, so stop what you're doing. I was like, oh, oh, okay, <laughs> sure, Sally. So obviously if CEO comes and talks to you and tells you to do something, you're gonna go do it. So I ended up doing that and it was a really great experience to, to learn that even the head of the company was uh, very much about wanting to, for me to have a voice and to be a part of the conversation. One of the other interesting things you, you told me was that when you became a consultant, you kind of accidentally ended up becoming a mentor all the time to, to people in the companies you were working with. Um, why did that happen? Why do you think it happened the way that it did? So I became a consultant after leaving uh, work after Camelback. I worked at the North Face for about six and a half years in equipment. Um, also, one other design. There was another female designer there as well. But after six and a half years, uh, it's time for me to grow and do something else and um, start to stretch myself as an entrepreneur and go through other goals and try to grow. So I became a consultant. Uh, I left in December and then about two years ago. And literally January, my old boss from Camelback um, comes for full circle, calls me up and says, hey, we have a new team. We have a bunch of projects. I just saw on LinkedIn that you were now a consultant. Would you be willing to come back and help us? 
And so I said, yeah, sure, sounds like a great opportunity. And I went back uh, and met with William Gordon, who's here. And he had a new team, a fresh new team, and uh, some young designers, female designers, actually. And I was very happy to take them by the wing and kind of show them the steps. And um, I took some of their their designers and first trips to Asia, um, walking them through the steps step by step. And being able, it's been amazing to watch them grow as designers and become a mentor in that way and really become a part of the team in that way. So it's been very special to me. You also have three children. Yes. And, <laughs> and when we first started talking about it, you were like, every, every woman I talk to asks me how I do it with three children, and I'm kind of sick of it. But then we also decided that we would ask you, how do you do it with three children, and, and make you talk about it again. But, but the point being just that, you know, that's, that's an important conversation that needs to happen, even though that, that's not something that necessarily defines you. It's, it's something that impacts your life in, in, a, in a, a meaningful way and impacts the decisions you've made in your career. So, Yeah, I, had, uh, I started having kids at the North Face, and I was able to handle my first child, who's now um, in kindergarten, so he's going to be six next month. Um, but at, uh, while I was there, uh, after I had my first child, we decided it was time to have the second. And uh, to my surprise and delight, <laughs> I ended up having twins after the first. So I all of a sudden went from one to three. And that was a big, huge uh, uh, thing to go through. But uh, the d- other designers, and it's funny, as, as people were having, uh, women were having children there, and uh, since I had three and some of them only were, were having one or whatnot, so they would always ask me, oh my God, how are you holding up? How are you doing it? And so I have to be, I, I'm always honest with all of the women that come and ask me, even if they're thinking about having children uh, or other people, uh, that it is very difficult. It's extremely difficult. It's a lot of balance. Uh, and you really do have to, it's kind of cliche, but you really have to have a strong partner. Um, especially as a designer, you need your space, your mental space to come home from work and be able to do what you do as well as do it at the job. So it's a lot to balance and it just becomes um, something that uh, you need a really strong person to lean on at home because you cannot do it alone. So you need a lot of flexibility, you need, you need your space and you need a really strong partner. Great, thank you. Awesome. So next we're going to be talking to Janie Dial. She is the co-founder of Wilder, um, a new retail website for women in the outdoor arena. Um, Anything else to add to that, Janie? Okay. It's too long to this. But um, prior to starting Wilder Goods, um, Jeannie worked as a creative producer in the video film industry for a long time. Um, so we wanted to pick her brain about women as leaders in, in that industry too, aside from the retail work she does. So um, like I said, what was your experience as a woman if, in this heavily dominated male industry? And can you just elaborate on your opinions on, on that experience? Yeah, I somehow always end up in male-dominated industries. Um, when I was six, I was on a boys' soccer team, and I refused to play with the girls. So it's a long trend in my life. Um, I have a little anecdotal story. I remember the first time on a film set I was interning, and one of the um, camera guys was kind of your typical misogynist jerk. And... Um, I knew he didn't like me from the beginning, but I knew he was kind of testing me. And, and 
One day I made a mistake. I unplugged a set of lights, which is a really big deal if you're shooting. And, you know, you guys have probably been on sets before. And uh, he said, if you weren't so cute, I'd kick your ass. And I had never, I had never been talked to that way. And it, it struck me, and I've never felt so kind of disempowered. But... Uh, I have a really strong dad and a really strong mom who told me that I can do whatever I want in life. And I remember the next day I came to work and I I made it a point to just keep showing up and to keep, um, I guess you could call it compensating. Um, And and that's the reality, I think, for a lot of women who are in male-dominated fields. But, you know, I'd show up and I'd bring him coffee and his name was Ray. I was like, hey, Ray, did you know that my middle name is Ray? (laughs) You know, and and it is. And... um, so I think, I think that simply by showing up over and over and over again um, as women in, in you know, misogynist kind of, uh, or even just male-dominated spheres, we start to chip away at those old paradigms. And I will say that by the end of that film production, which lasted for six months, for six months I put up with Ray, um, he was one of my closest friends and allies and advocated for me on every single film project I ever worked on from that point forward. So, yeah, I guess the lesson there is um, you're going to confront these things no matter what. And um, by by continually showing up and proving that you you have a space and you you um, deserve to occupy that space, um, you'll start to kind of change the cultural... um, It'll become more culturally normalized. I think that's the best word. Um, So I'm I'm trying, even now in my my new business, as a female-led outdoor business, which is very rare, uh, it's a process of normalization and continuing to just show up. So with looking at the question, what happens when women lead, one of the um, base questions that Karuna and I had was, well, how are women uniquely qualified to lead? Um, So that was a question that I thought would be really interesting for you, Jeannie. And on that note, is there a relationship between women and power and sustainability? Not sure that's going to influence my answer. <laughs> I was telling Amanda there's a whole article on how Beyonce framed this photo from a feminist kind of perspective. I'm sure you guys have read it because you're all really intellectual. Cool. Um, uh, so the first question is... Um, how are women uniquely qualified to lead? Oh, well, I don't think they are, honestly. I don't think that, I'm not convinced that gender has anything to do with uh, being qualitatively uh, fit to lead. And um, so maybe I differ with some people in this room on that, but I, again, I, I think that by, by showing up and simply you know, proving over and over again that you're fit and qualified to, to lead by, by being in the position that you're in, um, you're, you're chipping away at these old paradigms. And, you know, I, I feel like I've been really lucky in my life, and there's a lot of privilege and entitlement that, I mean, I, I grew up pretty poor in Utah, but I had a, a wealth of, of influence and support from my own family and friends. And, um, and so that's noteworthy, because I think that 
I can only speak from my experience about leadership um, from a place of privilege, really. And so the harder question is um, how do we encourage and empower women who are not as privileged um, to claim their seat at the table, too? Um, so I think that's probably a, a more interesting question to me. Um, and then second question was... <laughs> is there a relationship between women and power and sustainability? Oh, yeah. Well, so my business is, is primarily focused on sustainability, and we curate from brands and designers and um, artisans and craftspeople who give a damn about the environment and who are really transparent about their processes. And so my whole business is rooted in sustainability. And I think we talked about this before. You know, I could get into kind of the philosophical and kind of anthropological aspects of how, you know, a couple hundred years ago, Mother Earth was a dominant theme in in culture, you know. And with colonial, colonialism and patriarchy in this country and... Um, the kind of desecration of those values of this symbolism of, of the nurturing mother and the way that we, we relate to the environment and, and this kind of sentiment around how could you possibly harm that which gave birth to you. Um, those are the things that I, I think about a lot in terms of sustainability and leadership. And as women, we are the, the birthers of life. And I think there are some interesting concepts there that we could get really deep into, but it's worth, it's worth contemplating as, a, as a, an interesting starting point for why women and sustainability are, are synonymous. Thank you. Um, so we, Karuna and I looked a lot for statistics about women and women's leadership, and you saw one up when Michelle was first speaking, but it was really difficult to find much. Um, we didn't really find much in general, but this was one that we, we found that I'm going to read straight off here because um, there's a lot of numbers and I find it really important. Um, according to 2014 census data, 9.1 million women-owned businesses employed 7.9 million workers and generated over $1.4 trillion in revenue. Sounds like a lot, right? But that was only 5% of the country's workforce and contributed to just under 4% of business revenues of the whole country. So not a lot, actually. So when you hear that, what do you, how do you feel? I mean, I go, that's bullshit. <laughs> you know, it sucks. And, and I, I mean, I'm so lucky that I'm standing on the shoulders of the incredible women that have come before me and... Um, and so there's this gratitude that I feel, but there's also, um, it, it's deflating to read numbers like this and also to walk into rooms full of um, investors who are, you know, privileged white men and, and to have this kind of patronizing tone. So I guess in order to solve these numbers, I think that we need more women in finance. We need more women investing and that can mean not necessarily that you have this wealth of money and an endless bank account, but take someone younger than you under your wing and mentor younger girls and prove to them and show them what's possible. And I have two uh, 20, they're 21 and 23-year-old interns, and uh, I learned so much from them about um, 
how they how they perceive where they're inadequate in the world and I think just by just by being a, an advocate for and a mentor to younger women and this includes men as well like pay attention and listen and care for them and um, I think that's what we do different in my company. We are founded on and really rooted in values like humility and vulnerability. And that's not normal, and it's not widely accepted when you're in a room with a bunch of men who want to talk a- about sophisticated investment models, you know? And, and it's okay to say, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. And that's a difficult bridge um, I think as, as a woman, and especially as a person who, who doesn't have a background in finance and investment, and nor do I have an MBA, but um, it takes something else, and I think that's grit and heart and showing up. Thank you. Hey, Janine. Hey, Karina. So there's a, a little bit of a backstory here, because actually there was a man who was supposed to be sitting in Janine's spot, and that man is Janine's partner and husband, Cooper. And Cooper had a lot of incredible things to add to this conversation. We felt really strongly about having a male voice in this conversation. And then he got promoted to creative director and had four pitches this week and couldn't make it. So Janine's going to pretend to be... No, I'm kidding. So, <laughs> He's much taller than me, so this is odd. <laughs> um, but he is at home with the baby, so you know, yeah. it's a little bit of a trade-off. Um, so we wanted to talk a little bit about what Cooper had to say, and also uh, thank you, Janine, for stepping up and taking his place and being able to you know, speak for him to a certain extent, but also about your relationship and what you guys have learned from each other. Um, one of, the, one of the things that he talked about that I was really interested in and wanted to ask you about was um, bro culture. So, <laughs> so he told me that, you know, I think everyone has a kind of a vague idea of what bro culture is, but I'm kind of defining it as like male-only conversations that tend to make women not included and generally or very uncomfortable. Uh, so Cooper was talking about it and he was, he, he was telling me stories about like walking in on a bunch of guys in his office, just like saying like crazy, totally misogynistic, inappropriate stuff, just cause there were no women in the, in that room at that time. And that he, he just was so angry about it and, and just like it was done with that. And, um, and had listened to it for a lot of his life. And I asked him what had changed and he said that he, he'd spent years hearing your stories and that's what had changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted you to tell us a little bit about like what perspective you were able to provide to him that changed his behavior in a work environment. So um, Cooper is a really unique guy because he's, um, we've talked about this a lot, he's really masculine, but he's also very in touch with his feminine side, even though he wouldn't come across that way. He grew up snowboarding and um, his dad's a pilot, he's a kayaker, like he's a man's man, but he's also very interested in the arts and culture and things that lend themselves to women, typically. Um, and I owe that to his mom. She did a great job raising him. Um, but, you know, when we got together, I, I hadn't started my business yet. I was still working full-time, and, you know, he gave me the confidence to kind of go out on my own and start my own business. And um, through that, he watched me uh, go through this amazing evolution of being... Um, 
playing a supportive role to a lot of the brands I worked with and a lot of the clients I had and um, getting my voice out there but in a way that wasn't maybe as confident and as um, astute and um, a lot of um, situations I was in you know, he watched me uh, live through them. So, you know, for example, I would be in a room of, of, you know, intelligent, accomplished men, and I'd be trying to wrangle, get their attention, get them to pay, to hear my voice. And, you know, it wouldn't happen until I really would get serious and snappy or my New York side would come out or, I'd, you know, I'd really kind of domineer and try and take control of the conversations. So that's a really silly example. But then more important examples are, you know, being quoted in the same article as a peer and not getting my title included, things like that, or pitching ideas to a company for them, you know, and then telling me, no, we're not going to go with that, but then they do it with my, with another person who happens to be a man, you know, like literally identical pitches that they glazed over me to then have a, a guy come in and pay him probably quadruple. Um, so he kind of watched me experience that and it made him really frustrated because he knew I was as talented, if not more talented than, you know, the men I was being um, either competing with or trying to share the stage with. And I'm often asked to moderate panels with all men and I'm five foot three, I'm a small person and I'm usually the only person without a VP or a CEO tile, title on that panel with, with men. And, and I'm, I'm really good at, at getting them all to focus. And it's funny, um, they always come up to me after and they thank me for that, you know, leading them, you know, almost like a Sherpa through the conversation and keeping them on task and on target. So um, what that has taught me is that because I am this tiny, dainty little girl. I've had to really use my big girl voice and be strong and dominant and, pa- and passionate and powerful when I want to get my point across. So, that's that. So, um, after I, I interviewed Cooper, I, I called Janine because I called her because I, so, I was so excited. I was like, Janine, your husband is amazing. I just spent an hour talking to him and he, I found it so inspiring and and part of what, um, what happened in our conversation was me starting to hear a male voice that was reflecting back to me uh, what I needed to hear as, as a modern feminist, as a, as a modern feminist literally in the past like year, you know, in the change that's happened in our culture and what that reflected. And, and in lieu of his presence, one of the things I wanted to relay back to you guys that he told me was, um, you know, when I first asked him about just interviewing him for this, he said... Uh, he said, yeah, I think I've only had female bosses, which was really, first of all, a surprise and interesting. And I was like, okay, how do you, how do you feel about that? You know, like, what is, what is, does that mean anything? Um, and he, he talked to me about three examples of women who had taught him totally different things. And the way he framed it was not exactly PC, but was interesting. He, he told me that the first woman he worked from at Urban Outfitters that really... that really changed, changed his perspective and taught him a lot. He said she taught him how to navigate an estrogen-filled environment, that it was almost all women or gay men who worked there, and it was, that created a very particular dynamic, and, and he was one of the only straight guys in that dynamic, and she really helped him understand how to um, be a team player and get the work done and, and have, have functional relationships in that dynamic. Uh, he went on to work for a really strong... Uh, female executive at Nike. 
and it was like the opposite. It was like a, it was like testosterone every day and really intense. And and I don't remember the team that they were on because I know there's a million teams at Nike, but. Uh, but all of a sudden, it was like a woman navigating what he considered the opposite, a testosterone-filled environment, and that, that he learned from her the dynamics of that. And, and at the end of the day, how to be a great designer, get the work done, uh, have a strong voice, be respected. Um, and then he went to Google. And at Google, uh, he learned how to navigate an, a completely asexual, intellectualized environment. And... Um, and, and, and that any, any kind of dynamic that would start in the group about gender, his boss, who was a woman, would just shut down completely in the most effective way. And it literally gave him the tools and the words to say in a meeting when people started to like get into a space that was totally irrelevant and inappropriate to the work that they were doing. Um, so, so just hearing him be honest about that and talk about that, knowing it was women who guided him, uh, and that now he has an incredible team of men and women that he's leading, the cut partnership that you guys had, you know, um, as much as I wish that he could be here, I'm probably making him sound better than he is anyway, so. But what it underscores is the importance of men in this conversation and the importance of... father to little girl, I think, plays a big role in the conversation. Yeah, so tell us more about that. He is, we have a, a one-year-old little girl, and I always was like, I figured you'd want to have a little boy because you're such a dude, and you can do dude stuff with your, with your son. He's like, why can't I do dude stuff with my daughter? You know, like, I can teach her how to shred. I can teach her how to surf and, you know, do all the things that we as a family do. Um, and I, he wanted to empower her even, it was even more of a drive to, like, raise her and give her the confidence. Um, it was funny, when I found out I was having a little girl, my first thought in my head because it's a you're overwhelmed with thoughts but like I saw her as an adult as a woman and a really strong woman because of her father like that was literally the first thing I had in my head so I knew we were going to be fine and I think that does also play a role in um the way he looks at treats and respects women around him because he's created a woman and he wants to empower so he's very conscious of that that's that's really powerful um yeah, so, so the importance of men in this conversation can't be overstated. Um, even at the Women's March in Washington in January, um, I remember hearing a group of, of guys chanting her body, her choice, and it was like I had never heard that in my life, and it was like incredibly empowering and impactful, and, and it was all these little moments. It's like the... the the men who have mentored me and supported me and never made me feel like I had to do anything differently or work harder or, you know, all of those men have, are contributing to this issue and this, uh, bridging this gap that we need to bridge. And, um, and we want to be talking about these incredible women who are sitting up here and hearing from them, but we also want to be hearing from the dudes. Um, so the, the last part of, of, of that is um, also... Amanda, you had had kind of a, another question for Gail too about male listeners. Yeah, just to to add one more onto the conversation behind men, Gail, you had an interesting point about the men that have written in and asked you or made comments about what they've learned from your podcast. So, could you tell us a little more about that? Sure. Is this on? This is on. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, my podcast is called She Explores. So it's. 
I found I have mostly female or female identifying listeners. Um, and I did a survey recently, and of like 20,000 listens per episode, 300 people answered, and 5% were men. Um, but the men that actually reach out to me have interesting things to say. One thing that they say is that they really enjoy it. They enjoy the content for the content and the people for the people, which is something I'm not sure I told Amanda, but I think that that's important. Um, and then the second thing was I've had a couple of men write in and say that it's helped them better understand how the women in their life experience the outdoors and how to treat them in the outdoors, and I think that that's a really special thing to get some of that insight if you're not getting it. Like I had a guy write in from England who's 25 and he said that they like going hiking in the hills in England and he now understands his female coworkers better. And I thought that was so sweet. <laughs> I wanted to be friends with him. So um, I like the idea of reaching um, men and women through women's stories. So um, the last the last part of this interview process is has a few questions between us. Um, uh, Amanda and I had a couple goals during this process and for this panel that I don't think we met, and I wanted to tell you guys about that. Um, one was we wanted a guy on the on the panel, so we kind of like kind of halfway halfway did that. Um, but really, we wanted more diversity on this panel, and to us, that the conversation about women is just a, a part of the larger conversation in outdoor about diversity and diversity in leadership, whether that's about age, race, disability, different perspectives in any way. Um, we wanted, we all, every woman up here is incredible, but we're similar-ish in our age range and we don't look that different from each other and we look around the room and I think it's an important thing to acknowledge. Um, so. My question to you, Amanda, is, you know, what was, what, was, what was the process around that, and how do you think we can do better next time? Yeah, this is, um, in all honesty, a really difficult question for me. Um, on the same note that Janie was saying, I grew up in a very privileged environment. I'm a white girl from the suburbs of Wisconsin, um, so I don't really know. I, didn't, I don't think diversity was a part of my vocabulary till four years ago or so, until I really started doing my own thing in a different city and moving away from the Midwest. Um, so it's a hard topic to talk about. I think that at, at its core, I can say we did talk to some more ethnically diverse people and they were unavailable. Um, that's not a good excuse because obviously we didn't talk to enough, right? Um, so I think it's a topic that we all just need to keep discussing and bringing to the table in the same way that, that we need to bring the topic of women and women's leadership to the table. Um, and as long as we can be as transparent as we can about it, um, we'll make, you know, keep moving the needle. So, yeah. Um, the other thing that was kind of interesting is in terms of where we ended up with this panel was that it's almost all entrepreneurs. Um, what do you think that says about women, female leadership that everybody on our panel is actually an entrepreneur? Yeah. Um, I think you naturally have a tendency to be, to have gumption when you're an entrepreneur or find it somehow. Um, so I think that 
all these women up here naturally have that. Um, and so they're maybe a little more capable of having this hard conversation about women's leadership. But that's one of the things that Wild Women's Project is really trying to do and build in the outdoor industry more, is more women leaders, whether they're entrepreneurs or not, and find ways to answer that question. So um, it's a very similar question to the diversity question. I think that we need to just keep moving the needle and building more people up and having the conversation. and. One thing that I wanted to point out about this panel is maybe when everyone saw the title of it, they're like, oh, the topic of women is super sexy right now. And so structure needed to have a women's panel and a, because everyone needs to have a women's panel this year after the women's march, right? Um, I don't think this is about that on any scope or level. I think this is about the fact that not enough people are paying attention to what women need in order to be leaders or the lack of women leaders in whatever industry we're in right now. And so we really need to keep shedding light on that wherever and whenever we can until it changes. So that's, thank you, Michelle, for telling everyone to come forward because that's just another example of that. All right, so uh, we also really wanted to leave some time to have a dialogue with the people in the audience and get you guys involved with questions. So we're going to open it up now. Hey, y'all. I know a couple of y'all up there, but... um, Probably the most prevalent situation that I've dealt with in my wondrous ping pong of a career so far is uh, trying to understand when you say, like, get a place at the table, I think there comes this fear when you think that you're expected to be compliant or that if you push back, then you're being pushy or annoying or bitchy or any one of the wonderful labels you get for that. Um, what would you say has probably been some of your more successful tactics in being heard, but being able to present that information in a way in which the opposing audience can digest it? I'm just going to say the word, like be relentless. And, and you can be relentless and you can also be compassionate. And I don't think that they're opposites. I think that you can be incredibly driven and focused and also be a very kind-hearted person. And they're not they're not opposites. They work together, and so that's my short answer. Um, I think that you should be yourself. I don't think you should change yourself for the people around you, especially if you have a vision or a question or something that you really want to get done. Don't Just stop thinking about other people so much because what is life for? I don't want to get too existential, but really, I, I haven't changed much of what I've done, at least in recent years, because... I don't know, life's too short. (laughs) Yeah, and it's probably one of the oldest, or the oldest on the panel, probably. Um, Think about what you would lose by not demanding that seat at the table. Instead of how to do it, what to do, what not, I feel like I have more experience behind me of, of some regret of not doing that. I definitely did that. And I had teams suffer for not doing that. When I felt strong... I did it because it was easy because I was supported and my teams grew because of that. And then when I was in situations where I wasn't supported, I shrunk back and everyone suffered and I suffered the most and I'm sure other people suffered that I didn't know about until I had to learn to get over that 
And so what I've learned for myself now is, as I'm older and time gets shorter in front of me, is I don't, I don't have time to deal with this bullshit anymore. It's like, it's time to just think about what am I, what am I going to miss by, by not taking that risk and worrying about what people are going to think. If I still did that, this wouldn't exist. So that's one example here. So. I think that's a great answer. <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean, I, I know at certain times in my career I've been told, oh, be more confident, be more outspoken. And so I think that's something that I'm trying to mentor with uh, some of the younger designers is don't be afraid and, and speak up and don't worry so much about what other people think. But, you know, do deliver your message with confidence and with experience uh, with how to resolve the problems that you're trying to resolve. So, See, I don't want a seat. I want the whole table. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out how we can do that as a group. Um, and I get closer to that every day by surrounding myself with other incredible, dynamic, intellectual, beautiful, charismatic women and men. Because feminism, real feminism, is about including men in the conversation. Um, so I think it's a lot about the tribe you, you surround yourself with. And, and, and if they're on the same mission for that empowerment and that um, opportunity to rewrite and retool and disrupt the way things have been. Hi, I have a quick question. Um, so with fewer men currently being in those higher positions, those, those higher roles in design leadership, do you feel that that's created um, a competitive kind of feeling between women within the industry? And what are the ways that women can support each other as they're rising up through the ranks so that there can be more women in leadership? And then I guess the second part would be, um, and how can men also support that? I can start since I have the mic. Um... I do think that there is a sense of competitiveness, but I don't think that's gender specific. I think in any in any role or position in a company, people are vying for power and influence. Um, the closer you are to the power, the more alive you feel um, when you have more control and decision making and, and amplifying your your own voice. So I don't necessarily think that's a gender specific thing. I see it across categories, um, but. I think that there's ways to do it compassionately and, and responsibly and respectfully and to um, really... One thing that we've actually talked about before is that women always really show up for each other. Um, so uh, great, great examples are, you know, <laughs> this panel. My husband chose his career and his job and also to take care of our daughter over um, coming here because he committed to, to the panel. Whereas, you know, Karuna asked me last minute to step up and I was like, I'll drop whatever I am doing to be here for you because we show up for each other. And I don't, not that the panel would fail miserably without me, <laughs> but because she's my friend and my, my, my comrade and my ally and my collaborator and I want to be here to, to see her do as you know, well as she can. So I think that's something that women definitely have for each other. And I would say that this is, the, this is where I get out of my soapbox about the family thing. So that there's the issues of gender, yes, and leadership, but it, there's some very real pitfalls that happen when people get into family mode. And it's not just women's. This is an example of a family that needed to deal with something. When somebody has a role that is, you know, probably the, whether it's the breadwinner or whatnot, but an important role to support the family, 
and they have a, you know, a job they have to do and step up to, and they have family they have to take care of, things have to shift. It's a constant trade-off. And it is something that is culturally amiss, a, a, a really a problem in our society that if you watch a, a history of the working force of, you know, throughout this whole last 100 years, you can see a trajectory of how it's been changing. And we are in a mode right now where we've gone to a place where you have to have two working incomes, especially for a lot of us who live in the most expensive city or cities in the country, and more people are going to cities. This is going to be a bigger and bigger issue, especially as millennials have children, because it's a larger group. They're going to demand that change. But it's not easy for men and women. It's just everyone's making those sacrifices. How many people do I know where one partner has to take on a job they don't love so the other partner can be there to ferry the kids around and be there when they're sick? It, this is something that a lot of us here have really experienced and talked to a lot of people about. It's very, very real. And when children come into the mix, they shift the whole balance, and you can't drop everything. You can't drop them for everything else. You have to drop everything for them. And that reality suddenly pops up here, and everything reorders. And so what that happens is there's still a lot of heavy things that land on women. But what has really shifted is that women have become the higher breadwinners in a lot of families, which means the families are equal. They're, they're earning. But then they have to go through this physical having the baby, this emotional stuff, and they don't know what's going to hit them. It's harder. It's different for every single baby and every single woman and every single family. And you don't know what that's going to do to your relationship, your career, your life, your move. Everything gets totally changed. And anybody who has kids here, I know there's not a single person who will say, that's just not true. Um, but you don't know that till you go through it. And it hits you like a ton of bricks. And you think, that's not going to be me? Yeah, it's everybody. And as a cultural, we need to support that. We need to support that. And we're seeing that shift. You know, we're seeing businesses and restaurants and, you know, places to go support kids and families in new ways that are amazing. It's like, thank God I can, like, take my kid to this cool outdoor brew pub and they can play in the sandbox garden over here while we have a beer. It's like, you don't know how revolutionary that is. And it's so helpful. It makes you feel so good. And those places are thriving. Companies need to get behind that, and there's very few that are doing that. And as soon as we shift as a culture to, to celebrate that, that support, families aren't asking for more than the single people. They're just on duty 24 freaking hours a day. They leave work early to go home to their second job and get no sleep and get spit up on and do all the laundry and clean all the poop out everywhere. It's like... It, and it's wonderful. I wouldn't change it for anything. I love it. It's just harder. And it doesn't have to be. That's my belief. So, so uh, I would really love for this, to, this panel not to be necessary. I would really love for every hire and conversation I make to be completely gender neutral and not even have to think about it. But unfortunately, half of the population is represented in single digits in leadership. And that is crazy. I look at everybody in this room, you guys are a bunch of amazing, awesome people. Why is the world like this? It doesn't make any sense. So until that changes, I have to help every single woman I can to, to fulfill her potential. I'm going to help every dude I know too, but I'm going to pay special attention to the women because that gap has to be filled. And I just got to a point where I felt like I had to step up and own that. 
And I had to be one of the people that was going to make that change. And I, and I had to like take ownership of, of that in my life, in my identity as a designer, as a leader, as a human. Um, so yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna help, help her as much as I can help her. I, and, and if I don't like her, I'm, I'm gonna try to be a good person and still help her, you know? I'm fairly new in the outdoor community. Um, I started Bold Brew about three years ago. And, um, before that I worked for a larger firm in Wisconsin. And, I have had nothing but amazing support and mentors and help from every single woman in the outdoor community that I've reached out to. I've had completely competing agencies give me free passes to OR. Um, And so I think that that is a very big character of women leaders in our community. And I think that at the end of the day, our culture is changing from what it could have been before. Um, Obviously, I'm only 30, so I wasn't in that. But... I think that you know things are changing to a sense where the competitive people that are going to you know be mean and rude and fighting with you are are going to be weeded out and they're not going to survive um, because we're such a global community, a social community, always connecting and and everyone's going to know that they weren't that nice um, somehow. So I think there's I think there's just a lot to be said about the fact that that. People that have that competitive nature, especially women, um, which I think a lot of women are always nervous about it going into situations, it's not going to last. Like, it can't last in order to be successful and be a true leader. Just to, just to clarify, I don't think helping is being nice. So sometimes helping, helping is paying attention to the person in front of you and, and getting some sense of what they need. And sometimes helping is being really brutally honest about their work or about what they're saying. Sometimes you need to call people out when they're being completely inappropriate and unsupportive of the other people on the team. Um, so I just want to be really clear that as a woman, being supportive is not, does not always mean you're nice. All right, we'll take one more question. I just wanted to ask for you to talk more about this sort of bro culture you were talking about before. I think it's interesting you know, seeing the progress of women um, over the past however many years in terms of industrial design. I've seen, when I went through school, very, very, very few women were industrial design, and now it's become a big movement of female industrial designers. Um, And at the same time, I have not seen the same movement within male culture. And I'd love for you guys to sort of talk about, especially in, in terms of the outdoor industry, how whether male culture has changed or whether it's the same or, you know, your experiences with men and, you know, how they react to you as, as powerful women and, and, you know, what good, bad experiences with that. Uh, I, uh, I think I could maybe touch on this. Um, I actually was initially drawn to the outdoor industry because it was mostly men because I'm a strong woman by nature uh, dairy type A, and I tend to domineer things and be really like, you know, a lot sometimes for people. So I like to be around other, I like to be around men because I feel like I can challenge them and they can challenge me and I can get on their level and like, you know, so for me that was like really appealing in a way. Um, and then 
through my, throughout my career, I started to go to Outdoor Retailer in 2005 and give presentations at Outdoor Retailer. And I was like one of the few women speaking to creatives at Outdoor Retailer at the time. Um, and, you know, I would get a lot of like positive feedback and support. And I mentioned earlier in the conversation um, where, you know, colleagues would, or I'd be quoted in the same article as a male counterpart and not even, they wouldn't even give me my, my title. Or, you know, I'm the founder of Range. I have a company, and they would say consultant, you know, things like that. So, and then, you know, again, getting skipped over for, like, similar pitches. And what's funny is those same men that were given the title and received the pitches came back to me full circle in different ways to then uh, vouch for me for new opportunities, um, one of, um, you know, someone in particular who's a very powerful voice in the industry, um, you know, we were on a call one day uh, with a client we were trying to collaborate with, and he actually said to the client, the reason this exists is because of Janine, and it's because of her ideas. This is reality. Um, none of it would have happened without her whispering in my ear, and you only listened because it was me saying it. And I literally almost fell out of the chair. Because no one has ever uh, taken that stance for me, especially not someone with a lot more experience and a way more, you know, sophisticated pedigree in the outdoor industry. Um, so that was really, for me, very progressive. And, you know, I consider him to be a fellow feminist as well. Um, it's Scott McGuire from Mountain Lab, if everyone's wondering. But he really took the opportunity to take the focus off of him shine the light on me, and give me credit where credit was due. So I think we're heading in the right direction in, in that capacity. I used to work with Scott McGuire, so he used yeah. to be my boss. So he's, he's great. He's a great guy. And I think an um, in industrial designer, I mean, I grew up uh, in a court with, uh, in, in suburbia with all, uh, all guys, all boys. So I was always learning how to be one of the boys. And for me, maybe that helped me to my advantage in industrial design you know, kind of going, oh, wow, you know, I did pick a career that was a minority for women. But I do think um, being a part of the conversations and some of the, the men saw me as what I could do as an equal in, you know, backpacking or doing whatever I was doing. It's like, wow, she's out here too. And she's out here after she's having a kid, after she had a kid. I went on a, a backpacking trip after having uh, my son and I felt it was important to be with my team. So they see that that's, you know, some of the things that women are doing to, to change those things. And I think it's important that uh, men are taking notice as well. I think it's really important to speak up for each other, whether it's male or female. So you have, like, women speaking up for other women. You have men speaking up for women. You have, you know, you have this support. It's just a human quality. Um, you know, I, I grew up in... Um, uh, you know, about 25 years of martial arts, which is, can be a very bro culture in the U.S., not elsewhere. It just is, you know, in the Western culture. And had a female teacher who ran the school. Actually, it was a male and female, and they were very equal. But she used to fight in men's divisions and win. And we had a, one of the only schools I've ever seen that were equal amounts of men and women, lots of, you know, equal amounts of men and women, black belts. Sometimes there was more women black belts. But it came out on the fighting floor. There was no difference. There was nobody disrespecting anybody. And each side, really, I mean, what it was was really that what I found is that, you know, men seem to be really a culture about doing it. They do. They show each other, you know, and they respect each other for what they do. 
So as a woman, when you go out and you do it, suddenly they're like, oh, yeah, oh, okay, and you're getting results. When you get out there and, you know, you have a great fight one day and you kick their ass and they're like, oh, oh God, yeah, okay. But you do it in a different way. Um, but doing it in a place where it's demanded. We had a female teacher who could stand up to any of the men, fight better than most of them. And so when she taught, she didn't let anybody off the hook. She didn't let two women just always go off by themselves or let the guys go easy on them or let the guys think that they could be flashy and bashy and whatnot. And she set the stage and she was supportive, but she made people rise up, she made people respect each other, she made people act equal and find each of their own strengths. And that's an advocate, that's somebody who creates a space. Scott was being an advocate, and those voices are important no matter where they come from, and they're important for everybody. So it's about opening your eyes and paying attention to what's going on around you. And I think the bro culture, I've experienced it lots in the outdoor, suddenly you get two bros going and you're just like shut out. And you're in a conversation or in a situation where you're just pushed out. And it, the people need to pay attention to be inclusive of everybody. That's how I feel. All right. Well, thank you.